We are reading from Philippians. There are church Bibles. Come on, Bible Sunday. You've got to have a Bible. They will come round. Um, so grab a Bible, please do. If you don't have one, grab a copy of the Bible. And we're in the book of Philippians, New Testament, Pauline epistles, right after Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 4. We're reading verses 1 to 9. It is on page 1180 in the church Bibles, so do grab one of those. I do want to have a little look at verse 20 in chapter 3 in a minute, so, you know, you could just look. All you have to do if you've got a paper Bible is just look up a tiny bit. You don't have to press a button or scroll or anything. Paper. Good, eh? Philippians 4, 1 to 9, I'll read it. And uh, we, might, we might have a little pit stop in a few places as well. So Philippians 4, 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Just stop there for a minute. This is a nice one. I'm, this is not the sermon, so I'm just like, this is just a nugget, just chucking it out. Do you remember when Jesus says, I will give you a crown of life? Do you remember he says that in Revelation 21? Not 21, Revelation 2. He says, I'll give you a crown. You know, on that great and last day of the Lord, I'll give you a crown. Look what, joy, look what Paul calls his crown here. He says, brothers and sisters, you guys, Philippi, you Christians over there, my joy and my crown. This is my reward. This is my reward. You guys... Isn't that cool? He's not thinking, oh, the Lord's going to give me loads of material treasures. The Lord's going to give me a crown. You guys, the church, brothers and sisters, I'm going to enjoy this eternity with my crown. You guys, forever. That's what Paul thought of when he thought of his crown. That's cool, isn't it? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown... Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Or, alternatively, that is how you stand firm in the Lord. We'll be thinking about that in a moment. Dear friends, verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, literally march around your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that. Think about such things. And then he says this, which I think is just astonishing. Whatever you've learned, imagine saying this to someone. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. <laughs> you bold enough to say that to your Christian brothers and sisters? Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in my life, do that. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Put that into practice. Just do that. And the God of peace will be with you. There you go. Quite a good reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you know in other churches, I won't say where I've heard this, but they, they've changed that to listen for the word of the Lord. Slightly different. See what they're saying there? They're saying somewhere in this reading, you might hear the word of the Lord. We say this is the word of the Lord. All of it. All of it. All of it. So when you say thanks be to God, you can do it. Yes, thanks be to God. All of it is his word. Not some of it. Okay, so there we go. Um, Philippians 4, 1 to 9. If you were going to write a little book, here's a question for you. You're going to write a little book, and I'm going to give you the title. The title is Standing Firm. That's from verse 1. Stand Firm, Standing Firm, How to Live the Unshakable Life by... And then put your name there. This is your little, your name, your little uh, help book, self-help book, whatever. What would you want to talk about? What would you want to talk about in the book or the audio book, podcasts, whatever you're doing? All right, what is it? What are the ingredients to standing firm and unshakable life? What do you want to talk about? What are the chapter headings? What's got to be in there? What do you want to stick in your chapters? Do you want to talk about um, uh, diet, routines, sleep, laughter? Uh, spend more time with friends? Spend less time with friends? Spend more time on your own? <laughs> be less idle? Be more idle? Be more idle? Spend more time? Hang out? Chill out a bit more? Uh, don't give up on your dreams? Or move on. Could be that. Um, shoot for the stars. Or appreciate the little things. Seize the day. Or finding your natural rhythm. I don't know what you'd want in that book. I don't know what you want to put there. But Paul does give us something to think about this morning. Well worth thinking about. And it's there in verse 1. And we're just going to have to circle back to chapter 3 just to see it. He says, look... Before you get on to method, most of self-help books now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't read that many, right? But I have had a flick through occasionally. They go straight to method, straight to method. So it's straight away about what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you, how you're sleeping, how you're eating, all that kind of stuff. Straight to method. Paul's like, no, we go straight to principles first. Let's talk about principles and what we're believing. That's first. But you never get that, really. Because those big questions of who am I, what is this world, where are we all going, what are we all doing here, what, what is the purpose of it all, you generally don't get that. Those are the big questions. Those are the real questions, though. They are the real questions. You've got to answer those ones. 
Paul's like, yeah, you do. You do have to answer those ones. Sure, diet, sleep, all that kind of stuff. Great, good stuff, all good things to do. But get the principles in place. That's where Paul wants to go. So he's not about method so much as principle. And he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Or, more literally, this is how you stand firm. So he's just said it. Right, he's just said it. So let's go back to 3 verse 20. Can we have, have you got 3 verse 20? Or can we do that? Is that it's coming up? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. This is Philippians 3 verse 20. This is what Paul says. Um, our citizenship, here it is. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, these things, so that they will be like his glorious body. Right. So hold that in mind. Paul's saying, do you want to stand firm? Do you want to be an unshakable Christian man or woman? And no matter what the world chucks at you, Everything's changing, right? Things change, nothing's the same. We're getting older, getting more wrinkly, gray hairs. All these kind of things are going on all around us. People are coming at us, maybe. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's not talking about trivial things. He's been chucked in prison. He's been talking in chapter three about enemies of the gospel, violent enemies of the gospel, people who will hurt you. And he's asking the question, how do we stand firm? How do we stand firm when life's like that? He says, right, I'll tell you. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's the reality. And we're awaiting a saviour from there. His name's Jesus. He's coming from heaven. And one day, these bodies, which are broken and they die and people might hit you and hurt you and everything else, he's going to transform that body and it's going to be like his body one day. And he's coming. And your citizenship is there. Don't, Philippi, remember, he's talking to a people who live in an actual place. He's like, yeah, I, mean, I know you're citizens of Philippi and there's all kinds of stuff going on in your country. But really, really, your passport belongs to Jesus. He's issued it. You're a citizen of heaven. That is who you are. And Paul wants you to know that. He wants the Philippian church to know that. He wants us to know that. That is where we start. If you want to stand firm, solid as a rock, nothing's going to shake me. Nothing. I can endure all things. He's like, right, principles. Who are you? Citizen of heaven. What's happening? Jesus is coming back. What's going on with that body of yours that's covered in bruises because someone's beating you up? It's going to be renewed. Yes. Now stand firm. Believe it. He may well, you know, we may well get all sorts of value from routines, diet, sleep, all those kind of things. But principles is where Paul wants to go. Get this stuff in place. What good is a diet or a routine or loads of sleep or better furniture or an organized garage if it's all just going to rot? Do you know... Um, 
There is quite often now, it comes up quite a lot. See if you can identify with this. Uh, common idea, I was only talking about it the other day with Tom Lowe because it comes up quite often, is um, you get a podcaster or maybe someone on the radio, telly, whatever, and what they do is they go, uh, for millions of years, millions of years, the earth and the solar system and everything else has been completely uninhabitable. You couldn't have lived on this earth for so long, for like ages gone before us, completely uninhabitable. Uh, now, right now, we're, we're living in this tiniest sliver of time. The sun is shining, the temperature's right, stuff grows, human life can exist. Here we are in this tiny little fragment of time. Here we are living in this moment. Soon, the solar system of the Earth is all going to be too cold, too horrible to live in, everything will die, and this rock we live on called the Earth will be drifting out into the void forever. But we're in this tiny sliver. We're in this tiny little segment of time. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> like that. And you're supposed to go, yeah, I think so. Yay. Uh, and you're left going, oh, gosh, I'm not sure that is so amazing. Really? What you're saying is we've come from deep, like, deepest, darkest, blackest, coldest, horrible nothingness. And that is where the world's heading, to deepest, darkest, blackest, horrible, void nothingness. And for a moment... We've got a few seconds, as it were, in the light. Oh my gosh, like, what does that do? If that's the principle, if that's the big principle which is being spoken over your life, and it does get spoken down the radio waves and everywhere else, if that's the big idea, that's the big idea. What does that do to a person? What does that do to you if you feed that in constantly? Doesn't it make you just go, well, it doesn't ultimately matter what happens next, what I do, what my choices are, how I affect other people. Does it really? I'm just one of many millions living in this pointless time sliver. So I might as well make, might as well make the most of it. Maximize my happiness now. Minimize my pain now. Because what else is there to do? And isn't that what we see? Isn't that what we see? I think that principle's working its way out pretty good and strong. Coming out of an endless void of blackness and darkness and nothingness, we're going back into that void one day soon. Best make the most of it. I think that pretty much sums it up. Now, Paul wants a different principle operating over Christian lives. He wants us to be like, no, our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is coming back from there. He's going to renew all things. One of the most lovely verses in the Bible. Um, this is from Revelation 21. Jesus who is seated on the throne. Just get this. Think of the world, right? Think of that picture that you're being sold of. The world's just going to cool down or be swallowed up by the sun and everything's going to be this horrible black void, whatever. Think of that. And you just think everything's decaying, bodies, stuff you buy. Think of those things in your house which are gradually rotting, becoming moldy and old and broken and everything else. Everything's just descending into chaos. Jesus says, I'm not looking at you, Dave, promise. <laughs> you have a lovely head of hair. Uh, Jesus says this, this is good news. He says, the one who is seated on the throne said... Behold, 
I am making all things new. That's the future. That is very, very cool if you think about it. I have the power, says Jesus, to make everything new, newer, brighter. Right? We're used to everything just gradually fading, getting weaker, worse, rubbish, more tired. He's like, I have the power to renew so that things get stronger, brighter, better, fuller, more vibrant. Behold, says Jesus, I am making all things new. That is the future. That is the future. So Jesus is saying, right, get that as the principle over your life. That thing. That you're a citizen of that future. Yeah? And I'm returning one day soon to make that body of yours, like mine, eternal. Jesus' resurrection body was ever new. Remember he was eating, drinking, you know, doing things. People could touch him. It wasn't an unusual thing. But it was renewed. Never more to die. Powerful. Now he says, right, and we're getting to the actual point of this sermon, which is, um, the actual title of this sermon is How to Have Harmony in the Church. But I just want to say those things because really what flows next sits on that foundation, right? Remember Paul said, but stand firm. This is who you are. This is where we're going. This is the future in Jesus. Now then, and then he says this, right? Then he says this. Okay, this is the next section, which is really just one I want to focus on just for a few more moments and then we'll close. But this is important, really important for us as a church family. He says this, I plead. So having said all that stuff, principle, he goes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. Here's an issue. He's obviously heard of it. There's some interesting things about this, right? No, what's the issue for a start? Got these two people in the church, Euodia, Syntyche. We're not told what the dispute is about. Praise God, we're not told. Otherwise, we would have just pigeonholed that particular dispute and gone, ah, it's a kind of a Euodia-Syntyche dispute, but that's, that's maybe something we have to deal with. We weren't told what the dispute was. Praise God. He's left that open for us. All scripture, brothers and sisters, God breathe, intentionally delivered to us by the Holy Spirit, I'm not telling you what the dispute is. <laughs> yeah? I'm not telling you what the dispute is. It could have been something major like, where's the next missionary journey going to be? Or how are we running these prayer meetings? Or how are we looking after the poor in our midst and feeding the hungry? Could have been like something crazy big, like in the life of the church, really important, like missions. Or it could have been, I don't know, what colour were the curtains? Or how have you done the floor? Or you have left the toilet seat up? Or I don't know, you're lazy. It could have been anything. Who knows what it was? That's the first thing. We're not told what the dispute is. Second thing, it's reached the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome. So whatever's happened has reached him a long, long way away. And it makes him sad. So he's pleading with them. I plead with you guys. Please, you odia, 
Sinsky, sort it out. I'm pleading with you. And he's asking for uh, a loyal companion of his to help them. Now, disputes, they wreck churches, folks. They really do. I think Paul's onto this because he knows that disputes wreck church life. We're, we're quite good at pointing out, you know, false teaching. You know, the New Testament warns us of false teachers and false teaching. <clears throat> Got to be dealt with. Serious, deal with it. And we, we tend to go, oh, false teaching will wreck a church. Now, it can wreck a church, don't get me wrong. Um, or we tend to go with something tend, tends to be more spiritual, like um, the devil and his schemes will wreck this church. Right, maybe. Just one thing on that, though. One thing I quite like about Jesus. Do you remember that very, very famous line where he's telling Peter, Peter, on this rock, you are my rock on this rock, I will build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, just think about that, because we say that all the time, we sing it all the time, all that kind of thing. In my mind, for some reason, for, for ages, I've just kind of imagined, like, the devil or his minions, like, coming at me with a big set of gates, and, like, these gates he's trying to bop me over the head with won't prevail, because like, they're coming for me with these massive gates, and they're trying to smash me on the head. It's not that, is it? Just, do you see the picture? The gates of hell won't prevail. Who's attacking them? Who's attacking the gates? The church. It's the church has won the victory, the devil is done for, and we're storming hell. And the gates won't prevail. That's the, that's the fort. You know, you've got, imagine a fortified city, walls all around it. Here are the gates. Here's the weak point. We want to get in. The gates of hell won't prevail as the church smashes through them to take out the devil and his schemes, and to claim all of those who are imprisoned and captive for Christ. The, the gates of hell won't prevail. Do you see that? We're going to shove them down. Bosh. In we go, lads. Yeah? So when you think of that verse, it's the other way. It's not here are us Christians kind of cowering as the devils go, oh, here he comes again. Oh, it's boshing me over the head with these gates. It's not that, is it? Storming it. We're storming. We're going in. So then maybe there's some reason there just to, be a, just to sort of tone down the kind of threat levels we often think of when we think of spiritual things. That's at least one verse to throw into the mix, hey? But this stuff, you know, in the Bible and in our experience wrecks churches, disputes. Little ones. Just sort of noodling around the place. Um, getting people upset. And uh, unsettling situations. Creating hurt. Things can't be worked out. This wrecks churches. It does wreck churches. It wrecks churches particularly if it happens in the leadership but it happens, uh, it can wreck churches elsewhere as well. And the Apostle Paul is pleading, look, please, sort it out. This has reached me in Rome, in prison. Can you sort this out? The other thing to say is he, he expects some mediation might be needed, so he's sort of saying, look, you know, 
you're going to need some help, get some people to sort of speak into the situation and sort the situation out. Um, he wants them, here's an interesting thing, to be of the same mind in the Lord. See that? Can we flash that verse up? I plead with you, Odia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. What difference does those last three words make, do you think? So if he'd have stopped at the same mind, I want it to be of the same mind. He wants robots. Right? I want you all to agree on absolutely everything. Same mind in the Lord. Probably more like, look, you two. You, you are citizens of heaven. <laughs> and Jesus is returning and he's going to restore these broken bodies of yours into something that looks like this. Can you just lift your gaze and see that? And in the light of that, in the Lord, figure this out. I'm not insisting that you have the same mind on all the little details. There are going to be some differences. We're going to do things differently. Right? We're going to opt for different things. We're going to have preferences. We're going to have different gifts and talents. and things. All of that's fine. Can you be of the same mind in the Lord? Can you prioritize the Lord, his kingdom, and set that so high on your agenda that maybe some of these things down here, preference, things you're doing, way we're doing it, people we're doing it with, all that kind of thing, can just take their proper place. Can we get that perspective? I think that makes a difference. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And he wants everyone involved to remember this, that their names are in the book of life. Do you remember he just bolts that on at the end? It's beautiful. He says, let's just read it again. Um, Help these women. They've contended at my side. He's like, we were doing gospel work together. It was so great when I was down there in Philippians. We were, you know, charging those gates. Bosh! With these guys at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, all of them, names in the book of life. Come on, remember that. Your names are in the book of life. So here's the summary, right? Paul puts big truth in small places. Can you remember that? Paul wants to put big truth in small places. So when you're having a dispute, Paul's like, I want to get some big old truths into this situation. Remember who you are. Remember what's coming. Remember who you're going to look like in the end. And get those big truths into those small places. That can do a lot of damage. Paul pleads with us for that. He pleads with us, contend for that. Contend for that. Get those big truths into those small places. Work these things out and be open. How to have harmony in the church. So let me summarize and I'll pray. Stand firm. That's the big message. Paul says stand firm. Stand firm. There's going to be all kinds of shocks to the system. All kinds of uncertainties to condemn it. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow morning? You might not have a vicar next week. I don't know what's going to happen this week. You might not have... Who knows? Paul's like, I'll tell you though, stand firm in this. Citizens of heaven, 
Christ is coming back, you're going to be transformed. Get that big picture over your life. Speak it over your life all the time. Get that big truth in all those small places. And then he says, this is how you're going to start working stuff out. On that foundation, work these things out in the life of your church. And he concludes, and I'll just read it. He says, rejoice. Rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, your gentleness be evident to all. That's it. Gentleness. That's the fruit of the Spirit he's gone for at that particular moment. Remember, he lists them off in other places. But the one he's after here, gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Would people say that of me, you? It's a gentle man. It's a gentle woman. Gentle. Do not be anxious about anything. Every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your regrets to God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will march around your hearts, guard them, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. And the God of peace. So you won't just have the peace of God, the God of peace. He has both things there. It's just quite nice, isn't it? The peace of God will march around your hearts and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to stand firm with these big truths, big principles, filling our minds and hearts. Um, Lord, may we know it, feel it, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we're yours, that you're ours, that you're coming for us, that one day soon we will see you face to face and will be transformed. Our bodies, as broken and battered as they are, will be like yours. Father God, would you put these big truths into our hearts and may they so overwhelm us and give us cause for rejoicing that they change everyday situations, even those disputes, those things that we might need to figure out with one another, even now, even this morning perhaps. Lord, may it be so. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.